Hey guys, welcome to another podcast. Just quickly, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know we're running an introduction to bike drawing event with a lady called Kat the Chevalier, fantastic uh, bike drawing and candy cross trainer um, here in Bristol on October the 7th. Uh, it's an in-person event. It's a fantastic way of just getting started in bike drawing, finding out more about it. Um, and yeah, quite a rare opportunity. So you can find the details for that by going to houndplus.com. So that's H-O-U-N-D-P-L-U-S.com. Clicking on the events tab, and then you'll find all the info there and you can sign up. That's in Bristol. Okay, let me tell you about this podcast. So I'm today I'm interviewing Jenny Gold. Jenny is an incredibly respected competitive obedience trainer uh, here in the UK and also breeder of German Shepherds and... Uh, this was a really fun podcast. Actually, I was listening to it back before recording this introduction, and uh, it's it's a really fun one. Me and Jenny are both very, very passionate, especially about German Shepherds, and that <laughs> that means we did spend a lot of time essentially arguing about German Shepherds, which makes it quite an entertaining episode to listen to. Even if you're not into German Shepherds, I think you're going to kind of find it entertaining and, and fun to listen to. Um, I do want to make it clear as well. We don't hate each other. We, I think we got along really well, actually. We spoke for for a really long time after the podcast as well. Um, and yeah, I'm a massive fan of what Jenny's doing. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really good fun to record with her. And also I want to highlight, um, she's just, she spoke a little bit about her um, new project, the GSD Hub which is basically like a, a, a resource for everything to do with German Shepherds, training them and all the rest of it. Um, and she's launched a new membership for the GSD Hub. And it's closing on, I want to say Monday, uh, the f Monday the 12th, I think. No, Monday the 14th, sorry. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I, I really want you guys to to check that out. And, and so... You really don't have long to do it if you're listening to this podcast. So make sure you go over to the GSD Hub on Facebook especially and get signed up for that because once you've missed the window, you've missed it. Um, and I think that Jenny is, you know, among the best people that you could ever find to guide you through German Shepherd ownership. So would would massively recommend that to anyone. All right, super. Let's get started. Okay, well, thanks for thanks for coming on the show, Jenny. It's really good to meet you. You too, Nick. You too. Always to come chat GSDs. Yes, definitely. But it's also um, it's quite bizarre for me uh, with you, particularly Jenny, because we've lived in the same city for as long as I know. <laughs> you're prop. You're proper Bristolian, right? You're you. I'm a proper Bristolian. Yeah. <laughs> and yet we've never even really interacted at all, and it's I'm very never. strange. I'm in Bristol. Where am I from? I grew up in yeah. Nelsey and then right. I moved into the city. Um, how long ago now? Maybe, well, probably seven seven years ago, something like that. I actually moved into the proper city. Um, city. Yeah, because Nelsey's a little bit out of the sticks, really, isn't it, Nelsey? Yeah, sure, sure. It's just kind of like a suburb out, out, out of the town a little bit. But um, yeah, but Jenny, you kind of you run your business in a an unusual way. I think you have a little bit of like a. Uh, a secret club going on. <laughs> I can never, 
I, I mean, maybe I just can't find the website, but it seems to me like it's almost more like almost invitation only. You know, it's <laughs> it's very prestigious. Right, Nick. <laughs> You know, yeah. like, for example, if you want to come and do classes with us, it's very easy. You just find, you just go on yeah. the website, you can yeah. sign up there and then. But but with you, isn't it more of a case of kind of messaging you and hoping, <laughs> hoping you say yes, I guess? Old school, pick up the phone. No. <laughs> no, I'm. It's, it's me being a technophobe, actually, is part of it. So where I am currently is we've had um, uh, originally my pet training business that's been going, oh, God. 30 odd years, I think. So um, I have had websites done for those in the past and people can get through to me that way. Um, But I think the, you know, to be honest, Nick, it got to the point where I've got so much comes through word of mouth. I don't need to put stuff out there online, which I know means I'm missing a trick because, you know, I'm going to sound really old, but youth of today do everything online, don't they? Sure. and you know, and I think it's it, it's just the way that it's progresses. I've I've had plenty enough business. I haven't felt the need to go online and try to <laughs> to get more. So that's where my my pet training's been. You are actually right about it being an exclusive club when it comes to my competing because um, I'm I'm very much I like to build community and I like to make sure that we've always got really nice characters that support each other. Um, that are there for each other. Certainly when you're in sport, it can be a lonely place to be. And the more backup and the more moral support you've got, the better. So my my club, my competition club, is quite quite quiet online. <laughs> and I really ought to do a little bit more with it. I really ought to put it out there and say, this is what I do. Does anybody want to come and join? But I've got loads of people in it and only a certain amount of time. So you know, I'm at the point where I go, yeah, people tend to contact me and go, Jenny, do you run any training? And I'll go, well, actually, yeah, I do. I'll put you in the group and you can have a look and see if it's for you. Um, the one thing I'm not, Nick, is a salesperson. I'm a really, really poor salesperson. Do you do this full time though, Jenny? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't yeah. believe that you can, It's a, it speaks to your reputation that you can have like, you know, you you, you can be quite tough to find. And yet you you clearly, you know, do run enough and do enough that you can you yeah. can do it full time. That's yeah, it speaks to your reputation yeah. a lot because I think um, you know, most of us that are dog trainers, we have to think we as much as oftentimes we don't really like to do it, we do have yeah. to think about marketing, you know, because oh, yeah. in order to be able to to make a living. Yeah, definitely. Marketing is so big now, isn't it? Um, and it's something I find really, really difficult to do. Um, really difficult. And and um, I find it really hard to blow my own trumpet. So actually putting up posts that say I've done this and I've done that and I've done something else, I find really, really difficult. Um, so I tend to, uh, I tend to try and try and stay quite quiet. I've got better. I have got better at it. And certainly, you know, with doing the hub that we were talking about, the GSD hub, and I'm wanting to find GSD owners from everywhere. I've had to go out and become a little bit more um of a marketer but i've had advice from lots of people um some really really good friends have helped me along the way with it um but i i can't say i'm i'm still particularly comfortable with it because i'm not but we'll see we'll yeah. see i no. couldn't even do zoom before lockdown so 
<laughs> no, I think that's a pretty common thing with dog trainers. You know, we got into dog training because we love dog training, yeah. not because we love running a business. And then it's, uh, you know, it's kind of forced onto you. But you, yeah. you mentioned there about blowing your own trumpet. Maybe you can give us a little bit of an introduction to you for, for people that don't know you. <laughs> Maybe you can okay, tell us a little yeah. bit about your, your background. You forced my hand, forced my hand. All right. Okay, so um, I've been in, I've had shepherds since I was very young. Um, always my own shepherds, not family shepherds. They were always my own. Um, so that now stems into 40 years or so. Uh, so I started off with a poorly bred German shepherd who, you know, she wasn't registered. Not that registration is everything, but she was she was poorly bred. And we had an awful lot of aggression problems with both people and, and other dogs. And uh, I lost her at five years old. She had cancer of the liver. So she was very, very young when I lost her. Uh, went on. I've got more and more shepherds since then. I've never been without my shepherds. Always had <laughs> at least one shepherd, if not more. And that's progressed. So uh, I got into my local club when I was a child, as you do. got into competition obedience as a child. Um, and then eventually, you know, you move out, you, you become adult. And I got my own German Shepherds. I got more heavily into the sport. I got into um, my own business, you know, went off and did, you know, that when I, when I started, we didn't have, um, uh, you know, you couldn't go to university and get degrees in, in pet behavior or anything. There was none of that around at the time. But there was an awful lot of really, really good dog people that you could learn from and you could go on courses with. So I just filled my boots with all of that, really. And as you know, Nick, eventually it becomes very much about um, experience as well. Experience is so key in dog training, you know, and the theory is great and the theory is really, really important. Um, but, you know, it's looking outside the box very often with dog training. There, there isn't really a one size fits all. And you have to learn to work with um, those anomalies on a regular basis. And they 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 give you a great big CV at the end of the day, um, everything that you learn from them. So I got back into, I got into sports heavily, dog sports, competition, obedience. Oh God, 25 years ago now after dabbling as a child, always with German shepherds, always, always with my German shepherds. And, and I understand that some people want a tool for the job. So they'll, they'll buy a breed that they think is most suitable for that sport. And I understand that. Um, however, it's never for me. Uh, shepherds, my shepherds first and foremost, and uh, I've done it all the way through with the shepherds. So got into it more heavily and I had my first obedience champion um oh 2012 so the last 10 years I've made up four obedience champions so it's not easy in, in competition obedience certainly in the UK it's very much a collie driven sport and uh to do it with German Shepherd is a big thing it is big and I have to blow my own trumpet much as I find it so hard to do so doing it with four and they're all been related my first two um, sh uh, champions were uh, show lines, actually, show line breeding. My last two have been more working line breeding. So I'm sure we're going to get into shepherds a bit later on in the conversation. Yeah, but the four have all been very different types. Uh, they're all related to each other. So my first two were litter mates, and that's a big thing, really, to make up two German shepherd litter mates. Uh, by the same person, owned by the same person. It's never been done in the history of our sport. So I'm very proud of my first two. Did you breed these dogs as well? Yeah, I bred them all, bred yeah. them all. And they're all, so they're all related. So my first two, Chance and Chica, Chance was my first obedience champion and his litter sister, Chica, also became an obedience champion. And they, they're my show lines ones. Their, their father was um, Nikonis Colin, fabulous dog. 
And uh, their mother was, uh, she goes back to Guy Haig's Romino lines. She was a Romino lines bitch. And, uh, but mostly the majority was show lines. Uh, then Chica's daughter, Ava, became a Valiant champion. And her sire was, for those Shepherd people listening, uh, DDR, so East German Working Lines Import, Quick von Graffenthal. And then her son, which is my current dog, Teo, uh, is also an obedience champion. So, yeah, three generations. First two litter mates and then daughter and then son from that. So, oh. yeah, almost lovely. Yeah, Family affair. I mean, that's Family a affair. very impressive CV for sure. Um, obedience, yeah. Are there many German Shepherds in competition obedience? Are yeah. there many that have got to that level as well? Years ago, yes. The sport, like every sport, it's evolved. And uh, years ago, German Shepherds were, when the first sport first started, German Shepherds were were very often at the top of the sport. It's just become a more exacting sport than 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 years ago. And it is, in that way, it's become a little more, um, you know, ideal for a smaller, smaller size dog. You know, no other reason than just size, really. So, yeah, many, many years ago, shepherds were the breed to have. And there's still an awful lot of shepherds, thankfully, in the sport and a lot of other breeds in the sport, not just Border Collies. But by the time you get to top level, probably 90% of the dogs at championship level are Border Collies. So there's a few more um, other breeds coming through now, which which is brilliant, absolutely brilliant for the sport because it doesn't. it's not much of a spectator sport because it's just one collie after another. And I was chatting to Carrie Ann and she said, um, oh, she said, well, we watched them at Craft. She said, and it was just like the same dog, but the handler changed. And I was like, <laughs> I think that's a big part of what people feel when they watch it. So at least having different breeds, yeah. you know, it, it makes it a bit more spectator sport. Well, so, you, you know, yeah. uh, I came across a YouTube video of your performance in 2013. Yeah, chance. Which, something like 4 million views. Mm, mm. Unbelievable. It wild. It went wild. Yes. A yeah. massive, I mean, that, I... I str- I think you'd struggle to find a, a dog training video with that amount of views on YouTube. Um, it was really amazing. But I think the reason it's so popular is because the, uh, you know, as someone that doesn't know a massive amount about competition obedience, it's very impressive to, you know, the level of precision, the level of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite amazing to watch. And if you, you know, sometimes with YouTube comments, you look at YouTube comments and they're just like a cesspit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not on that video. Every single comment is just like in awe, you know. There were a few. There were a few. <laughs> and I had to ignore them, Nick. I have to be honest. Well, I didn't see them. My boy. My boy. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah. Yeah. I did. And and to be fair, it's people that don't understand our sport as well that, that would often make those sorts of comments. So, uh, yeah. it's um, Yeah, it went viral. Absolutely viral. Wild. Wild, which is lovely, lovely for my boy. And that was my first time ever at the Crafts Obedience Championships. So in obedience, when you go to Crafts, so we're digressing a little bit, there's lots of different competitions now um, held at Crafts in the Obedience Hall, which is brilliant. It used to be just the championships and then the interregionals. Um, now we've got the interregionals, we've got obedience, we've got um, uh, all sorts, all sorts of different obedience competitions now, which is just brilliant. But the championships, that was my first time at Crufts in the obedience championships. Um, and yeah, that was him. I think what a lot of people liked about that video was, uh, like you said, it's the precision and everything else, but, it, and, and it's how long it goes on for, you know. Yeah, uh, very true. A lot of people did mention that. Yeah, it, it, it top level obedience heel work goes on for 
six, seven, eight minutes. Yeah, it does. So, And it's a long time for both dog and handler to have to concentrate. But a lot of people like the relationship. You know, uh, Chance was very much a showman. Um, he was very much in, into me, you know, but he liked to show off to the crowd. Uh, and I think people got that from the video as well. And I think a lot of people like to watch the relationship between us. And, you know, it's a big part of my training, Nick, is, you know, all my all my competition obedience training is all uh, positive reinforcement. Well, actually, you know, that's a really good point because, um, and maybe I'm wrong about this, Jenny, but in this country, in the, in the UK, I think I've always taken it for granted since I've been a trainer. I'm sure it wasn't the case back in the day. But obedience has been almost entirely positive training for the most part. Like, I'm, you know, I'm sure there are people that do horrible things. That's right. You, could, you, can, you can contradict me in a minute, Jenny. But then, uh, um, but when I see, sometimes I see comment sections over in America from American commenters and they have a very different view. Like almost some people are kind of like, no, how would you ever do that with positive training? You know, and I, for me, I was, it's kind of strange to see because I've always associated the ob obedience side of things with actually more positive training. A little bit like agility has become like that, right? Like most of agility is usually positive training. You know, I'm sure there are people that yeah. do, do horrible The thing jobs. that's different with agility, agility is actually more naturally self-rewarding for the dog. So... So getting a dog to want to do agility is not, you know, is not as difficult. I'm not saying it's not difficult, but it's not as difficult as a sport that has no inherent reward for the dog. And obedience that certainly for breeds that do not want to repeat. So German Shepherds are not as a general rule of breed that wants to repeat. You have to sell it to them. And I think once you've got a dog that understands the exercise and it becomes a relationship and it is the best thing in the world, obedience, I, I, obviously I love it or I wouldn't have done it for so long. But for me, it's it's when the power and the control comes together, like driving a sports car and being able to control it so beautifully. It's when those two things come together that is the best of obedience, but it takes time to get there. And the problem is it's not a self-reinforcing um, sport for the dog, certainly not in the early days. Whereas jumping and running for lots of dogs, I'm not saying every dog, but for lots of dogs, jumping and running is has, has an innate reward for the dog. It's something that they get, that they understand. And what I would say about competition obedience is it, it isn't something that the dog intrinsically says, I want to do it and I really understand it. So it takes a lot for us to sell competition obedience to the dog and I think that's why people struggle with it. And they struggle in the early days because the dog, the dog just doesn't really get what, what they're doing. What is this walking along and you know having to keep her eye on your business? Um, there's nothing majorly in it for the dogs. And I think this is why I, I, I don't know about agility. I don't know whether there's any harsh stuff going on in agility, but obedience certainly many years ago was the training was different full stop net years ago, wasn't it? You know, course, we've all yeah. got better at training. Um, and, and thankfully, it's going in the right direction in our sport now, but it's not as positive as a lot of people think. Uh, and certainly, I think, you know, when people watch it, they don't understand how you can get it. And everyone says, oh, you must have a sweet in your hand. That's why the hands there. You must have a sweet <laughs> yes. in the hand. Around. Actually, no, it's competition. We're not allowed to have sweets in our hands. Um, the dogs do have to be taught to be able to maintain position. But it, it does look a bit of a weird one. It does look a bit weird. I, I can get it from a... 
um, you know, from a spectator perspective, why they wouldn't be able to understand how you get the dogs to do it. But okay, so there are still train. There's still of, you know, more compulsive trainers. Yeah, more. Yeah, more so. More often than actual positive. More positive. No, not now. Not nowadays. I would say. You know that. Let's talk about the funny hand position. (laughs) Yeah, go for it. Go for it. What's the history behind that, Jenny? Because it is, as someone outside of the sport, it is a little bit strange. Like if yeah. you look at other sports that include heel work, yeah, you don't have that hand position. Yeah. So yeah. what's what's the We're deal? Like robots, there? don't we? We all look like robots. <laughs> what's the deal there? It's weird. Basically, the difference in competition heel work obedience compared to some of the other sports is that we're not allowed to give what is considered extra signals to the dog, certainly as we go higher up the classes. So as a result, um, hands on hip is something that used to be around in front of the belly years ago. Most people put the hand around in front of the belly. Uh, but it's it's about teaching the dog to maintain position without any help from us. So this is where I understand there is a lot of discussion because people say, oh, but it's a constant cue, it's a constant lure. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, But the dogs have to maintain such precision nowadays and we're not allowed to help out with with any form of body language, dropping of heads, turning of eyes. You know, it depends on the judge as to how hot they are on that. But, you know, the sport is is very much more difficult in lots of ways because of the um, uh, level of accuracy that's required. So, yes, it's something that we've always done in the sport. It's always been done that way. Personally, I don't see a problem with people swinging their arms if they want to swing arms. They're, 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 um, as a judge, I don't have an issue. There's no rule against it. If somebody wants to come and swing their arms, they're more than welcome. But they will also get marked for the body signals of turning into looking down to the dog when they do turns uh, and that sort of stuff, really. So it's just it's just what we've always done. And, and I think the sport does need to progress somewhat in in you know it's what we've always done and i think sometimes questioning what we've always done and looking at whether it is you know appropriate or or needed nowadays it, you know it's good sport sports do need to evolve and obedience has evolved and i think we're going even more towards evolving um so who knows maybe in future we will be swinging arms but at the moment it's what we've always done and um yeah so if you move your hand if you even move your fingers like this and hear what you'll get marked for it, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the other thing. It is a sport that's known for just unbelievable precision. And as Carrie was kind of alluding to, oftentimes if you're not really in the know, it's quite hard to understand why one dog wins and another doesn't. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And the other thing as well is our sport's quite subjective. So we've got rules, um, but it's it's the judge's interpretation of those rules. So um, whereas with a, something like agility, there's there's less room for being subjective. You know, the dog's either knocked the pole or hasn't knocked the pole or made the yeah. contact. Or it's hasn't more made immediately the... obvious to someone yeah. that doesn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's subjective. It's subjective. And if you look at dressage, that's also subjective. Uh, and I think it's the closest you know, comparison that we've got between equine sports and canine sports for obedience is the closest thing to it is dressage. Obviously, there's lots of differences. Why, but... why competition obedience, though? Um, you know, obviously, there's so many different sports that you could could have chosen. Why did you go down that route? Because when I first went down it, there wasn't much available. 
There's loads available now. There are so many sports available now. It's brilliant. But when you consider back to when I first started, which would have been 40 years ago, that we did not have the plethora of of activities and sports that we've got available nowadays. And what I will say with competition obedience is it becomes obsessive, Nick. It becomes absolutely obsessive. And it's if you're that sort of person who, who is obsessive in any way, it'll float your boat. <laughs> if you're not obsessive and you want quick wins and you want to, you know, uh, uh, feel that you're achieving within three months of being in the sport, you might struggle with it because it mm-hmm. takes a lot of work to get get the dog on the first rung of the ladder in obedience. So a lot of people start and they give up quite quickly. It's an obsessive sport. I love it. It's that you've got to have a control freak nature, I think, to want to do obedience. You've got to, You've got to have some form of that. But for me, it's not just about the control. It's about the control and the power and the drive all harnessed into a beautiful, neat, neat, accurate little package. So for me, it's never about accuracy or drive. It's both. And and when you feel it for the first time, when you really, really start to feel it, it's a feeling like no other. And for me, that's what keeps me going each time with each uh, dog have you, tr- have you tried, any other, you tried any other sports uh yeah working trials I and mean, i have to say i love working trials yeah. i love working trials um but i'm an all or nothing person mm-hmm. and and i had some success in working trials i'm an all or nothing person and if i didn't have to work at all and i had all the time in the world and i had my own land because with working trials you need access to land um, I'd be doing certainly be doing both sports, but I'm all or nothing, and and I've never been one to do anything by halves. So so anything anything in life that I do, I do 150, and I'm not one for putting my fingers in lots of different pies. Uh, it's that stresses me out. I like to know exactly where I'm going. I'm very tunnel visioned. So for me, get, and I want to get to the top. I don't want. To, I, I don't really want to just dabble in that and dabble in that. It's just not for me. It's not my. It's not my personality. So, but certainly, if I had more time and more space, I probably think I would do both obedience and working trials because I love working trials. Love yeah. it. So natural for the dog. Nose work. You've got tracking. You know, mm. you've got you've got the jumps. You've got there's so much involved. Uh, and I do do tracking with the dogs. I love tracking the dogs. And you know, Queenie's got some of her UK tracking dog association qualifications and stuff so i do do stuff but my big thing my big thing obedience competition obedience okay fantastic well i asked you why competition obedience i have to ask now why german shepherds why why did you gravitate to that breed more than any other i don't know i was a child and i always wanted always always wanted the breed right from a child and um, I nagged and nagged, same old story that most of most people have got, nagged and nagged and eventually my parents said, yeah, okay, you can have one. Um, and you specifically said, to... you didn't just say, I want a dog. You said, I want a German oh, Shepherd. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd always, I'd always wanted a German Shepherd. What 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 does a, you know, eight-year-old child see in a, a breed? I don't know. I really don't know. And I, and I suspect, you know, there has to be something about – um, how they look. I mean, you know, Rintin Tim was around, wasn't he? You know, Rintin Tin and all that sort of stuff. So, um, oh, and I can remember watching a film. What was it called? The Little Tobo. Oh. <laughs> You're probably too young for the I Little Tobo. I know about it, though. I, I, I love dogs, so I know this stuff. 
The Littlest Hobo walking down the street, the little song that used to have. And I love watching The Littlest Hobo. And that was a shepherd. That was a sably, sably type shepherd. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? How do we, when if it starts as a child, what draws us to breeds as children? But you got your first shepherd at eight. No, I wanted one from about oh, the top okay. eight. I got my first one when I was 15. Oh, that's when I got my first dog too. Was it? But was it? Me... I had my first dog before then, yeah. but getting a shepherd took longer for I the see. parents. Well, I understand that. Yes, uh, <laughs> for me, it was more a case of um, I just want a dog. You know, so I yeah. was just, I, please get me a dog, please get me a dog, please yeah. get me a dog. And... Um, the easiest one to sell my parents on was a Labrador. So I got a Labrador. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I didn't care at that time. I just wanted no. I just wanted a dog, you know. I think yeah. that's pretty common though. You're right. I think a lot uh, that's a lot of dog people have been through yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think I've, it's a start. I think with me, they didn't expect my parents or my mum and her partner um didn't expect me to look after the dog in terms mm-hmm. of they they desperately wanted me to because they didn't want to be stuck with the dog yeah but uh i think they probably didn't they probably thought i was gonna just get fed up and yeah. i didn't i yeah was obsessed you know um yeah. for my my i don't know if you had the same story jenny but for me my uh dog started developing issues you know issues with other dogs um <laughs> not coming back um and i realized i had to do training and then i kind of when i started getting into oh my my mom's partner said i said look i think i need to go to like a puppy class or something and he was like why would you do that like it's your uh it's your dog figure out yeah yeah (laughs) obviously not the best uh, advice but that's what i did and then i i just got hooked you know reading books watching tv programs and yeah yeah, my, mine was similar at the very beginning. My parents said to me, um, you're going to have to look after it. And and I'd gone through all the, I don't know if you did this, Nick, but I think this is quite common. I'd gone through all the lesser pets. So I'd gone through gerbils and goldfish and cats and rabbits. You know, none of them were dogs, uh, but it was the only things I could persuade my parents to let me have. And uh, and they were the same. They were like, no, because we'll end up having to walk. And I said, no, you won't. I promise I'll do it. I promise I'll do it. And they were like, we ended up having to clear the rabbits. I said, but that's because they're rabbits. And if it was a dog, <laughs> it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the same. And I would do it. And same as you, when when I had the dog, I did. Did it all. Did yeah. absolutely did it all. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for me, shepherds came later. You know, when I was, um, I've worked as a pet dog trainer for so long now, Um pretty much since I was a teenager, to be honest, because people started asking me to help them with their dogs because they saw I was addicted to it, really interested in it. Um, and then I just found the dogs I most enjoyed being with were dogs that were, like, really enjoyed playing tug, uh, really enjoyed that kind of play. Um, yeah. Like, those were the dogs I almost found them the easiest because they yeah. kind of wanted to work in the way that I wanted to work. <laughs> and... Um, uh, and then I got my first shepherd uh, eight months. Well, no, not eight months ago. Hold, she is, I guess, six months ago, five, six months ago. Okay. And uh, but before then, I was, I wasn't a hundred percent committed to a shepherd. I was kind of going back and forth on a few different breeds, like the different shepherds, Malinois, German Shepherd. I also thought about Rottweilers. Um, and then after a long deliberation, I I decided to go with shepherds. Mm. So. Yeah, mm. yeah. Brilliant breed. They are Brilliant a fantastic breed. breed. They are a fantastic breed. I um maybe have a more unpopular 
view <laughs> shepherds because I really, for me, this is actually though, Jenny, I think I kind of sense this a little bit in you as well, because, you know, you spoke about work and trials, you spoke about competition obedience. You seem like someone that maybe likes to do stuff and you have German shepherds in competition obedience. Maybe you don't go the obvious route, you know? Um, and I think I'm a little bit like that. And for me, what I really love about German Shepherds is the more old style German Shepherd, you know, from kind of the 20s, 30s, 40s. You know, those are the dogs that I'll look at pictures of and be like, oh, my God, that is just an incredible dog. Um, mm -hmm. And the majority of Shepherds I see today are not really to my tastes. Um, so I went to a very, I did a lot of research and went down a very unusual route and very specific breeder. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, there are not to say, some people get mad at me because it's not to say that there aren't fantastic dogs in this country, <laughs> you know, there are really nice working shepherds. And actually, the more I've got into shepherds, the more aware I've become of that because people send me breeders and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, I think we have seen some of your dogs, Jenny. Oh, of course I have, because I know Jody. I've met Jody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, they're nice dogs. I really like mm. them. I really like them. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you look back to any breed, back to the early days of the sport start uh, of the breed starting, um, you know, I, I always look back and I go, does that mean that that, that original the original dog was better than our current day German Shepherds? personal choice there's definitely a personal preference in here nick mm -hmm. so when you say you can look back and you can go oh i really like the look of that you know that's the sort of dog i like and i think you've got personal preference in shepherds full stop you know you can you can look at no end of different shepherds now and say well i like that and i like that and I, but i don't like that and i don't like that and there's definitely a personal preference uh and i think that goes for any breed and i think for any breed they have evolved from the beginning, especially the older breeds that have been around for a long time. Each breed will have evolved from the starting point. And I think it's very easy to look back sometimes with rose tinted glasses and say, oh, the beginning part of the, the big start of the, the, um, the breed was fabulous and it was everything that we need to go back to. Well, I'm not so sure that everything would have been perfect at the very beginning. Otherwise, the, the breed would never have evolved. Um, and I think the problem has come, you know, we're going to talk about German shepherds and having got ourselves into a little bit of a hole sometimes with shepherds nowadays with where we are with the breed. I think that comes from the fact that as is human nature, people wanted to evolve the breed. They wanted to give the breed a little bit more of one thing, a little bit less of another, as happens with any breed. And I think uh, as humans do, we've just gone too far in some in some directions. So for me, the, the breed was always designed to be a moderate breed. It was never supposed to be a breed that was, um, you know, excessive in any way. It was supposed to be quite a general purpose breed. So, you know, it is a breed that should be able to sit and cuddle on the couch with the children in the family home and guard the house when it's necessary, protect the sheep when it's necessary. They're supposed to be actually a really general purpose dog of moderate type. They're not supposed to be extreme. And this is where I sit very differently to, I think, to a lot of shepherd people, because I'm not in one camp or the other. I'm in I'm in German Shepherd camp. I'm not in Showline camp and I'm not in Working Lines camp. There are good, in my opinion, there are good and there are bad in both sides. And I feel it's the extremes that people have bred for that are causing problems within our breed, as opposed to one specific line. 
I mean, if I go by my personal preference, what do I like the look of? I actually like the look of the East German working lines. I love the DDR lines, which actually is very, very old versions of our German shepherds. I love the DDRs. Um, we don't get many of them in this country. We get some of them in this country. And as I said, Quick von Graffenthal was a dog that I used in my breeding program back a few generations ago. Um, that's my personal preference. The thing that I think goes wrong in any breed is when we start to breed for exaggeration. And that might be exaggeration in terms of um, confirmation. And it might be exaggeration in terms of um, drive. So there, I do think there's a, a big misconception for a lot of people between the difference between arousal and drive. A dog should, a German Shepherd should have an off switch and it should be able to switch on and off as required. It should not be a dog that climbs the walls unless it gets six hours of work a day. It's not what a German Shepherd was bred for and it's not what German Shepherd is supposed to be. So they are supposed to be a relatively moderate breed. So for me, my Shepherds are never going to be one extreme or the other because I don't believe that that's what a German Shepherd should be about. I believe it should be a breed in moderation. Um, and I went through the shepherds in my early days, poorly bred shepherds, I made all the mistakes in the book. I had lots of dog aggression, human aggression, um, dogs that lack so much confidence in, in the world. Lots of things that German shepherds really should not be. And it's through making mistakes and through making mistakes along the way that you eventually realise that things can't be solved in one go. And I don't think, you know, I've got two litters at the moment that are fabulous litters. The the, the parents seem to just have clicked. And what they've produced seems to, is moderation in everything. They've got all the drive that you want, but they don't climb the walls. They can live in a family home, providing their needs are met. Confirmation-wise, they're moderate. Um, you know, their temperaments are amazing. It, it's just everything. But that is that pairing and you never really know. And I learned, uh, I know we were talking before we before we came on to recording. I think when you breed, one of the things that I certainly believed when I first started is that I had more control over what was going to be produced than actually I did. And I learned very, very quickly that things can look really good on paper or you can look at two specimens and think, oh, they'll make fabulous puppies. And do you know what? It, nature is a funny beast, Nick. It really, really is. And there is so much more involved that I think we'll never get to the bottom of. And I know that I've got great, great, this pairing worked brilliantly and it's worked brilliantly, you know, for two litters and 20 puppies. And because I've come through some, some rubbish in the past and I've made some mistakes with my breeding and I've made some mistakes in the dogs that I've bought, I can appreciate these two litters now. But you never really know if that's going to happen. You never really know whether that pairing is going to come off. And for me... You know, I think it's like everything that you do. The more that you do something, the more experienced you are, the more, certainly for me, the more I can sit on the fence and go, do you know what? There's actually something on both sides here. 20 years ago, I was much, much, I would have been much more um, swayed in my opinions. I would have been much more uh, uh, strong in what I thought. And I would have thought that was right. But nowadays, coming through life as you do, I can now look and say, I think actually that there is good on both sides. I think there is bad on both sides. It's the same as I can say line crossing and out crossing. You know, there's advantages and disadvantages of line, line breeding. There's um, advantages and disadvantages of 
um, outcrossing. There is, you know, we, mm. we may not go down this route, but there are there's good and bad in everything. And I think it's, for me, it's always looking for that golden middle. And I know some people's opinion is you'll never get the golden middle. It'll never work. But to me, it's looking at not having dogs that are extreme because the one thing a German Shepherd should not be is extreme. It should be a dog in moderation. Um, and I love the breed and I have lived with this breed for over 40 years and I have taught no end of different lines of German Shepherds. I've had and owned different lines. I've bred different lines and I've competed, as you know, to top level with different lines. And there's more to it than just just that individual dog and the lines it's come from. And, and I, re- I it happens in dog sport. You get this dog sport slags off that dog sport and this dog sport's better than that dog sport. And there's so many camps we get in dog training. Let's face it. We've got the different camps in dog training. We've got the different camps in in breeds. Uh, and I and I go, do you know what? You know, we all love our breed. We all love our breed for different reasons. Uh, and and as you as you said, you know, you've had lots of messages sent to you about people were saying, my dog's not built like that. My dog's a beautiful express, a beautiful yeah, specimen of a German Shepherd. So I think, I think ultimately. It's about exaggeration versus moderation. And I think that's what's caused a lot of the problems in our breed. And it's looking to um, to move out of that as best as possible. Yeah, so, yeah. You've, you've said so much there this, uh, to, to talk about, uh, touched on so many subjects there, you know, with, and you're right, you know, extremes do generally cause problems. You know, um, I guess it's interesting, isn't it, with with confirmation there are obvious extremes that is very highlighted at the moment you know um yeah they went on the breed watch list didn't they for the kennel club for exactly yeah. this reason you know if mm-hmm. you look at the kennel club statistics the biggest cause of death in german shepherds is inability to walk you know you don't see that so well, how do they define inability to walk well it's it's the reason in which the dog's been put down that's the reason that it's been reported by the vets for, for the for the reason that someone has chosen to put the dog down at the vets, so this it was what I'm um, referring to here. You can find it. It's uh, I can't remember what it was called, like the Kennel Club Breed Reports or something like that. And it was something they did every year. And you can dig into the actual document and you can look through breeds and what the what is listed as the cause of death and then the highest cause of death per breed. And with German Shepherds, that was the one. That, so very, does that surprise a, you? Because very blanket statement: inability to walk. Does that surprise you, Jenny? Doesn't surprise me. It doesn't just surprise me. Tell us anything, Nick. I actually don't think it tells us. It's anything. more of a symptom than a than a cause. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, inability to walk doesn't tell us anything. What did the dog get put down for? Inability to walk. Is that through arthritis at 16 years old? Oh. Is that a dog with CDRM? It at certainly wasn't years at 16 old? years old. That's for sure. Because you, you can look at the. Uh, the average age. The age yeah, yeah, but you you know what I'm saying. You know, is it an older dog that has got um that is riddled with arthritis? Is that why it couldn't walk? Is it CDRM? CDRM was a problem for an awful lot of German shepherds back in the sort of 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and now great, we have a a test for it. We or we have a you know genetic test. It's mm-hmm. not supposed to be 100, percent but we have a genetic test for it. It's a hell of a lot less CDRM than there used to be years ago, and that that for me would be one of the things. That that would be a, a suggestion of a vet putting unable to walk would be CDRM. So yeah, the thing is, Jenny, you you don't see. I I I mean, I haven't got a document in front of me, but I don't remember that being a high cause of death in any other what, breed. CDRM? No, no, uh, inability to walk. 
I wasn't able to walk. I don't remember the seeing. Is, seeing. The CDRM is very much a shepherdy. Um, it's very much a shepherd uh, disease. You do get it occasionally in other breeds, but it's very much in in German shepherds, and it and it was a big killer to me. So, it, to me, you know? it seems indicative of the confirmation of more of uh, a, a huge proportion of German shepherds of today. That's why I, 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 I don't understand Jenny. I don't. And I say this with all, all the love in the world. <laughs> I don't understand how we can, we can imagine that we can change the skeleton of the spine in such a way and yeah. not, and not have an issue. You know, I understand that. I understand that. What I'd also say is, um, you need to watch some of these dogs moving naturally and not when they're stacked. I think the show world has done themselves no favours in the way that they stack the dogs. I agree with and that too. in the way that they run the dogs pulling into tight leads, it makes them look awful behind. And I absolutely don't disagree that there are some really, really over-angulated, really exaggerated German shepherds in, in, in our world, definitely without shadow of a doubt. So I'm certainly not disagreeing on, on that. As regards it being the major cause of why German shepherds die i'd have to disagree with that one I, I you know or i'd have to question it, it. Yeah. there's a lot of other reasons that stop dogs from being able to or german shepherds from being able to walk and see i'll send you i'll send you the, the report yeah but I, I what i would like to see are the reports that they that they took their information on because i'd like to know what those symptoms were was it was it see there's loads of CDRM. i think it's just the owner so report i think it's actually owner reported i think it's uh yeah. a survey I think it's a survey that they send out to owners of German Shepherds. I'll tell you another thing that you get in German Shepherds that would also mean that they were unable to walk. Awful lot of um, splenic tumours. So the dogs collapse and they can't walk. Mm. So I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you regards confirmation. I'm really not, Nick. But actually, I have to say, if that was an owner-led information, mm. we've got absolutely loads in that. And I, I'm certainly not going to sit here and say, yes, I'm sure that's to do with bad confirmation. Um, but I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. There's an awful lot of over There's a reason that we see that we see that reported in German Shepherds and we don't see it in other breeds. Whether you want to put it down to anything, there's a there's a there's a clear issue within the breed there when you're not seeing that in other breeds. But there's yes, with them being able unable to walk, yes. But the mm. causes of that, lots of different causes that other breeds don't get so much of. Mm. So yeah, I'm gonna argue it. That's all right. <laughs> This makes for a more fun podcast. Being unable to walk is too blanket a statement to take anything me, from. Let me, I'd love to know what the symptoms were. Yeah, but we, really okay, let's disregard that report for a second. <laughs> you, the, the changes in confirmation clearly cause issues. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, totally okay. agree. We agree on Absolutely that. Absolutely agree. Yeah, um, I agree. I want to touch on the working stuff though, and you talked about having a more extreme temperament. Do you mm. not think there's room for lines though? For example, uh, Stay with me for a second here. Mm -hmm. it's, it's undisputable that over the last 10, 20 years, police and military and various working roles have moved more to Malinois, Dutch Shepherds and German Shepherds. Is there not room to have a, 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 a very uh, high drive German Shepherd that probably wouldn't do well as a pet? Is there not room for those breeders and room for breeders that are breeding more moderate dogs that do I'm well. I'm sure there's room. I'm sure there's room. Um, you know, I, I'm not, uh, I'm sure there's room. But what I'm saying is if the police are finding Dutch herders and Malinois are um, more likely to work all day and have the drive, 
then why bring German Shepherds back into it? Why not let them stick with Malinois and Dutch herders? Why, why not? You know, surely it makes more sense that the police are using a tool for the job that is more, um, more, more, you know, useful for the job uh, compared to the German Shepherd, who they've now, who, who, if we're going to go back to the original German Shepherds, are not a breed that should be, um, you know, uh, over aroused and uh, full of defence and overreactive. You so know the famous. Why, why do we need to bring them back? Well, let me into answer the, that. The famous, the famous quote from von Stefanitz is, "I want my German yeah. Shepherd to always be a working dog." I agree. I agree. But where is a working dog? Where does a working dog? Where is the definition of a working dog? You've not. Who's I, I feel like it, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like if you resurrected him today, he would say, "I would rather." He, what was important to him was was that the dog was a working dog. Yep. Now, of course, you know, he, he, the companionship was important as well. Yeah. But I, I think those early, and not just, just him, but those early kind of pioneers of a lot of dog breeds were not, I mean, they created the breed. It's, mm-hmm. You know, they were all about tre- change, changing for the times, et cetera, et cetera. They were not uh, traditionalist like we have today, whereas like a breed has to remain static for its entire history and, you know, it has to be exactly the same. I don't think that was the case. I think they were far more flexible. And I think if he was alive today, he would be uh, be more flexible in that. I think you could have you can have working lines and you can have dogs that are bred more as more uh all-rounded like you said yeah 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 and um there are an awful lot of fabulous working lines so so far our conversation has sat really very much against show lines and me defending show lines against that criticism um and as you've seen with my dogs my dogs are not exaggerated in type whatsoever they are not show lines but i can also say it's not all bad Equally, I love working lines. I absolutely love working lines, but working lines that have same heads, working lines that are that German shepherds as they used to be. I know some fabulous working lines, German shepherds who live in, they do live in, um, you know, family homes. They've got brilliant on off switches. They're everything that we're talking about with German shepherds, everything. You know, they, they, they're beautifully constructed. They they are, have drive as opposed to over arousal issues. Um, you know, they're fabulous, fabulous dogs. Yeah, I'm certainly not saying I, I'm down the show line camp and I'm not saying I'm against working lines because I sure as hell am not. Um, and, you know, uh, certainly the, the, the dogs that I've used more recently have been a little bit more. They've certainly been more working lines. Um, uh, they're fabulous dogs, brilliant dogs. And I know lots and lots and lots of brilliant ones. But there is still the temptation to overdo the drive side of things. And that's not what a German Shepherd should be. A German Shepherd should be able to go out and work all day long and sit at home afterwards. So what I'm saying, Nick, is I love when I love working lines. I, I really like the shape of working lines. And I love the, the working lines that I know that are what I call true good working lines. They're, they're not overreactive. They're not wanting to bite everything that oh, looks at Oh, I certainly agree with this. You know, they're able to to look at a situation and go, is that a problem or not a problem? No, nah, that's not a problem. No, not I, somebody walking towards me, yeah. looking at me in an odd way, and I'm gonna have that arm. So oh, 100%. You know, but equally then, you know, not all, that's that's talking about the worst of the worst of the working lines or the more exaggerated working lines, the same as I've we've talked about the more exaggeration of the show lines. And 
You know, I, I I think there's definitely room for both camps. Do we need it in the police force when they've got Dutch Hoders and Malinois? No, I don't think we need German Shepherds to be to be cranked up to to behave like a Malinois or a Dutch Herder. No, I, I don't, don't think, think it's about turning them into Malinois <laughs> or Dutch Herders, though. D- but why I- do we need them then in the police? Why do we need them? Because your question to me was, do you not feel <laughs> that we, sh- we could bring in some more, you know, uh, intense, I'm going to use the word intense, German shepherds to come back into the police alongside I the Malinois. I think maybe, this, maybe uh, there's a little misunderstanding here because I don't think that we should just turn German shepherds into Malinois or Dutch shepherds. Okay, good. Definitely good. agree with that. I mean, otherwise, just go get a Malinois or Dutch shepherd. Absolutely, I yeah. understand that. There's obviously yeah. a difference between breeds. But yeah. I still think, I think it would be very sad if German Shepherds were not used in working roles anymore. And I don't think you have to turn them into a Malinois or a Dutch Shepherd to, to mm-hmm. still have a dog with fantastic ability to do the work and remain competitive with, with Malinois yeah, or Dutch yeah. Shepherds in working roles. But it depends, does it? Horses for courses. It's like, um, you know, uh, uh, my, let's go back to competition obedience. German Shepherds, are they ideal for top top sport? No, not, not so much nowadays. Doesn't mean I can't do it with my German Shepherds because I can. But would most people choose a German Shepherd to do that job? No, they wouldn't because the sport now has become, has evolved to a point where actually it suits a more, uh, a more moderately sized dog than a German Shepherd. But that doesn't stop me me competing and very successfully at top level with my German Shepherds. But is that the ideal one? No, it's not. And that's where I'm going really with the police. You know, why Why would we nowadays use a German Shepherd for uh, police dogs when actually Malinois and Dutch herders are bringing more to the table in terms of what the police might be looking for. So I understand where you're coming from. It seems sad that we're no longer using German Shepherds. But I don't believe that's necessarily a fault in the breed. I just think they find a tool that is actually better for the job. That's that's my understand. That's my opinion of it. So mm. I don't think it's sad if we don't use them any longer. I think if they find something that's got got more of what they need for the police, then I can understand why they've moved to that. I really well, can. So what happens to to German shepherds at that point? You know, uh, when they start losing their traditional roles. You know, but we don't use them for. We don't use them for. Your role was herding. Well, I was just about to say that we don't use them for herding. We don't use them for police. We don't use them for military. Haven't we done exactly what what von Stefanitz said he didn't want to happen? But don't forget, our country has, our, our world has evolved. You know, so can't the when, breed evolve as well, Jenny? Yeah, <laughs> and it has evolved, and albeit it's evolved in a way that is you know, possibly not perfect in, in both directions. We're going to go in both directions again. It's not, it has evolved. It has evolved. And we can't go back to the 1920s German Shepherds that we had back then because they weren't necessarily what we need in our world now. Ooh. And those ones from the 1920s would not be the ones that have got loads of drive and want to go off biting everything because that's not what they were bred for. I I, I did, What do you mean that's not what they were bred for? They weren't bred for extreme drive. 1920s German Shepherds were not bred for extreme they were drive. Bred to be, they were bred for police, police and working roles. Yes, but it was different what they used them for years ago than what we have with the police now. In it's what, very in different. What, what the police look for now is the police want actually dogs that are more likely to be reactive than they would have done years ago. It's very, very, everything's changed in the I'm world. I'm not sure that's entirely true. I, I think, um, you know, uh, I think more and more there's pressure on the police to have a dog oh, that can switch switch on and off out of that because uh, 
because of bad press about police dogs biting people they should not be biting. You know, there is more press. And also, police dogs, more often now, they're going home. You know, they're not sitting in a kennel. Yeah, yeah. So there is pressure to have police dogs uh, and working dogs that are actually relatively social, you know, outside of work. Uh Yeah, there are. Yeah, there are. But equally, they're getting more from the Malinois and the Dutch herders for for what people have to deal with nowadays in the police force. So it makes more sense for them to use them. I don't think there's anything wrong with the police using using Malinois and Dutch herders instead of German shepherds. German shepherds were bred, were bred. Some of the East German working lines people are are criticised for the East German working lines for them not having enough drive. Mm. And that's a traditional early German shepherd. Do you see East German lines in your sports today? No, you don't. You don't see it because they don't have the drive that's required for your sports like IGP. They're also heavily built. I'm not sure. Which... What, I don't really. I'm these. When you talk about lines, it starts getting weird because. Does it? Because, like, for example, we talk a lot about DDR. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's quite. It's discussed a lot. DDR. It doesn't even. A lot of people say it doesn't even really exist anymore. Like the the Berlin Wall is not there. It doesn't anymore. There's no it people just anymore. have just mixed these yeah. dogs all together. So yeah. So it's really hard to talk about. Is it? And it's similarly hard when you start talking about regions. Sometimes it's like, um, sometimes it's more obvious. You know, like you talk about West German show lines and all and all of this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. But my, but my dog is from from East Germany. I've been to East Germany. There is a massive IGP scene there. Is 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 my dog from from East German lines? Because yeah. she was bred in East Germany. I don't know because I don't know your girl's pedigree, Nick. Especially because one side's hidden. So I don't know <laughs> what your girl's pedigree is. your girl's pedigree because I don't know it. Well, I do know her pedigree. She was bred in East Germany. Does that make her an East German working line? Not necessarily. So Not what? Necessarily. So this is but this is my point. What? So what? What? Uh, what okay, makes so an East German? Let me educate you. Let me educate you about the GDR lines. All right. So many many years ago, if you look at pedigrees now, if you look back through pedigrees. And you look back to the DDR dogs that used to be before the wall came down. You will see on pedigrees DDR and a number. All right. So that tells you that that dog was a bit like we would get with um, ISDS Border Collies. DDR dogs were the original dogs that used to guard guard the wall before the wall came down. So when you go back to DDR, I can't I can't talk about your girl because I don't know what's behind your girl. I haven't seen your no, girl's. No, I'm pedigree. just saying. I'm just saying. So no when, you, when you use but, a region, but when but when they but that's because that's how that's how that they were um, originally bred. They were bred. You know, um, we've got West German show lines, East German working lines. If a dog comes from a country and comes from a region, that does not mean. Nowadays, that does not mean, I mean, your girl now lives in England, but because she's in England, people won't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to know what breeding she's come from. Mm-hmm. You know, the stud dog that I used in, in England was actually uh, an East German working lines import. So I don't think it's ever so simple as that dog came from Czechoslovakia. It will be Czechoslovakian lines. I've only got to look at a pedigree and I can look straight away and say it's been imported from Germany, but it's got loads of Czechoslovakian lines in it. Or, you know, they're the more recent lines. Oh, it goes back to a load of DDR stuff behind it. So how I, this is where I'm getting confused, though, because it's like, well, when do you draw that line? Like, you know, how many generations do you go back before you, you say don't need to draw, you don't need to draw the line? You look at what's behind the dog. Yeah. OK, how far are you going back? 
it's it's ancestry i'd go back miles if i can it's as much information as i can get i love looking at pedigrees you for example you might have a dog that you look at the first three generations and they're all czech you go back further than that and they're from germany is that dog a german line or a czech dog it does you don't put a label on it you don't have to put a label on it but if a dog has a pedigree that is full of a certain type then that's different yeah i don't know it seems very uh Quite, quite arbitrary to me. Like it seems very it's open. At all. It seems very... It's just looking at the pedigree. So if a, if a dog has 80% DDR lines behind it, that dog is a primarily DDR lines dog. But as we said, the DDR doesn't exist anymore. So you're you're having to go back a long way to... Not necessarily, because don't forget, a lot of people use AI. Yes. AI bring, brings in old lines. Okay. So don't forget, there's, there's AI that brings in very... It can be semen that has been stored for 30, 40 years. Mm. So people... There are there are breeders that stick with using their it's their also line. like while well, we're getting a little bit more heated, Jenny. <laughs> go for it, go for it, love it. <laughs> it's funny because you said you don't like hard dogs or you don't like dogs that are more of that type, but then you of talk about of of what dogs that are uh, more intense. But what? But the DDR lines are famous for being very defense driven. And yes, but they're not used a lot in IGP. It's about having that trigger, that trigger of um, over arousal. There's such a big difference between a dog that is over aroused. A real a dog that has true drive can think when it is in drive. A dog that is over aroused is less likely to be able to think you, when it's over aroused. You also said you don't don't like dogs that were uh, more liable for like uh, less social, essentially. Not not. I don't mean like a golden retriever social. I mean like okay. uh, like. Uh, one of the re- things that you didn't like about um, the way that things were going on the working line side of things is is that it, that was what I got from it. it was a more intense dog a more a dog that was more likely to bite someone at the end of the day. No, 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 no. Intense doesn't mean it's more likely to bite somebody. Yeah, but the DDR lines do. <laughs> you know? Is that what you've been told? No, but with the DDR lines, you have a dog that's more defense not necessarily if they're more it depends on how their drive manifests and what it's used on so i don't think it's ever as clear-cut as an intense dog is more likely to bite no i'm not this is this is a word thing this that's what i'm saying it is a word thing yeah it is a word thing it's uh but the ddr lines famously in in uh bite work you talk about dogs working in defense or you talk about them working in prey and the thing with defense uh, ddr lines is they were they're more well known for working in defense so it was mm-hmm. much more of a serious kind of protection and and those are the, those are the dogs that um generally are le- actually i would say generally are less social with people you know and and are more you kind of have to keep an eye on them versus a dog that is more prey driven and how you know it's DDR just more of a game how many ddr lines have you met i mean how am i supposed to answer that jenny or what am i supposed <laughs> to well we have uh, this is the thing what do you consider a, a ddr line this is my whole point come, as i told you a dog that's come from ddr lines well how much what if i put pedigree. you look at any pedigree how often do you get to look at someone's pedigree you know would you meet up with i meet a dog whether it's through sports whether it's through my pet training I meet a dog and I say, oh, I'd love to have a look at your dog's pedigree. I love pedigrees. So I look at all dogs' pedigrees and owners are usually really, really happy to to share them with me. And the reason I like to look at them 
It's because each time I see a dog and I go, I either like something in that dog or I'm not so keen on something in that dog. I want to see what's behind that so dog. So what, what was like, what did I say that was incorrect about DDR? It's about just the two parents. It's never about the two parents. What did I say that was incorrect though? Breeding is always about what is behind the dog as well as the two dogs that, dogs that are involved. It's not just about about those two dogs. You've got to look back in, in pedigree. Pedigrees are really, really important. You've got to look back at what's behind the dog. Because if you look behind your dog and you're looking for, let's go down a health perspective. Should we, should we get onto health? That'll be a really good one. If we go down a health perspective, okay, and you've got a, a dog and a bitch that have got brilliant, brilliant hips and elbows, do you say, I'm going to have a puppy from them because that's got brilliant hips and elbows on both sides? Really well health tested. Now, as a breeder, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that sire and that dam have got really, really good hips and elbows. Therefore, they're going to make a perfect match because there's an awful lot more that goes on behind German Shepherds or breeding full stop than just the parents. So you need to have a little look back through pedigrees. Honestly, Nick, you learn so much. If you watch pedigrees, you read pedigrees, you look at the dog in front of you, you get to see what is typical and atypical. And you'll have one person's opinion on one line. You'll have another person's opinion on another lines. And whose opinion is right? Nobody's opinion is right or wrong. It's about your opinion at the end of the day. But you need to go, if you're going to go looking for a puppy, you need to go back behind the parents. Don't take what the breeder tells you. Look back behind the parents. The information is there for everybody to see. Do your own research. And if you look back through, let's let's take um, uh, grading, hip grading, all right? In England, it's relatively easy because we've got numbers, all right? Australia's the same. We've got numbers. The lower the number, the better the score. So I'm looking for consistency through lines. That's why I go back. When you say, how many generations do I go back? I'll go back as far as I can because I'm looking for consistency in line. I'm not going to say parents have got great hips and elbows. I want to see what's behind them. I want to see what, what they've come from. There are lots of dogs with great hips that produce poor elbows. There are lots of dogs that um, are great hips that produce poor hips and vice versa. But you've got to look back at what's behind or you may well be missing a trick for a puppy that you get if you think the parents are great. Look at what's behind. Look at what the information is on those pedigrees. It will give you more of an idea of what you might get in your one. So have a look through your look through your girl's pedigree. No, believe See I, on, I, Jenny, trust me. I've n- You have. OK, a great. Very... So you have, a look, have a little look. Just check out all your hips behind your pedigree but also i don't think that's i i don't think that's the problem this is why hip dysplasia and elbow dysplasia are so hard to to control is because you can put which is kind of what you were saying jenny you can put two dogs together that have good scores and get a dog that doesn't have a good score you can and so you're kind of dealing with averages No, no 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 you're looking at genetics are not about just the parents about everything that goes on behind them so it's really really important to have that information as i said earlier when you breed you have a lot less control than you ever think you're going to have but you have got to stack the odds in your favor and stacking the odds in your favor means looking for looking behind if we're just going to just narrow it down to hips you know elbows same sort of thing but let's just narrow it down to hips Look at what's behind, I don't mean your dog's pedigree, but look behind pedigrees before you decide whether to have a puppy from them. If you haven't got, certainly in the first three generations, you haven't got all A-graded hips or you don't have all decent graded hips on whether you do English, whether you do German, whatever, 
Um, you need really, really good hips. But not only that, you need to look into what have they produced? Because just because you, you've got to look for the typical and not the atypical. If your dog, if the dog that you're going to use is atypical of that breeding, then you don't know what the hell you're going to get. If it's typical of that breeding, you weigh the odds, you stack the odds more in your favor. So pedigrees are really important, Nick. And studying pedigrees is really, really important because, you know, even if you put everything else aside, just looking at the health tests that they've had done, why would you not, if you're trying to better the breed, why would you not ensure that the, the, the first few generations behind your, behind your dog, even if you go no further than three, I like to go more than three. If you don't want to go any further than three, um, at least make sure the first three have got A1, A1 hips all the way through. Um, because otherwise, well, how are you doing right by the breed to use a dog or a bitch where you haven't got, you know? I don't, I don't think that's, okay, so f- first, I, I never said there wasn't good to look at a pedigree. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> My I think, misunderstanding. <laughs> I think pedigrees are very important, and I do look at pedigrees a lot. But I'm not sure. You, you didn't earlier, though, Nick. You, when you did didn't I say earlier. that? When did I, what did I say? What did I say? I said, how many generations yeah. do you go back to determine whether a dog's DDR or check? That's what I said. Yes, of course. You, you can go all the way back. Yeah, but this is my point. Are you going to go back? Are you going to go back a hundred years? Listen, listen. With pedigrees, you don't have necessarily. Depends on how the dog's bred. You won't have a dog that is necessarily one hundred percent DDR bred, one hundred percent West German German bred, one hundred percent. That was my um, question, though, Jenny. So how you do you? Won't. How do but you? You won't. You can't say a dog is hundred percent unless the pedigree tells you. This is such 100%. a this is such a silly rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> I don't even care about DDR and all of this stuff. This is just, this is, we're arguing over something so unimportant. But with the, um, with the, uh, but look, I don't know. I don't know how I'm saying now, I think it's important to look for a pedigree. I'm not saying it's not important. Um, but I'm not sure it's entirely true what you're saying about only breeding dogs with A-grade hips or that have three generations of A-grade hips or whatever. Because it's, it's more multifaceted than that. If, if yeah. you um, If you listen to or read about any of the people that are talking about genetic diversity yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in breeds... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look at the whole picture. Yeah, and, and their advice is never to... Yeah. to discard a really good dog. Yeah, don't discard a really good dog because it's got her hips. However, what I'm saying is... If we are going to go down the route of saying the breed needs a massive overhaul, let's, you know, let's let's really make a big difference to the breed. Let's see if we can change the breed. Then actually, I think you do need to go. What you know what? If we're going to breed the best with the best or we're going to we're going to make the best pairing we can for what we think will provide the best outcome, then why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you go? Well, actually, if I'm going to make a great big stand and I'm going to go, I want to go down the route of really, really trying to change the breed. And I applaud people for trying to do that. I really do. It's not criticism. But I would say, why why would you not in that situation make sure that your first few generations are as sound as you can get? I don't understand it. A stock, stacking the odds, stacking the odds, surely. Yeah, no, you, you sh- of course you should do that. But as I said, it's multifaceted as well. It's not just a case of, you know... Uh, you know, it's 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 a little more complicated than that, isn't it? But yeah, I I agree. Of course, you want your you wouldn't. 
let's say you're doing a, a you're choosing to do a, an outcross. Of course, you're going to choose a dog that has good hips and elbows and all of the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. and and has good results on all of the health tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, for me, if I if I'm going to you know anything can come up at any point. Anybody who breeds. It's going to get problems at some point of some sort. They're bound to, because if you breed for long enough, it will happen. It's nature for you. And certainly hip and elbow dysplasia is only partly genetic. So I understand where you're coming from. Um, However, for me, if you've got a test there and you have got something that can say, yes, this dog is sound, um, you know, uh, x-ray wise, joint wise, then it makes more sense to make sure that you're using one. If you're wanting to go down the route of changing the breed, then I, I fully... I know, I'm, I know. This is, it's, I just feel this is a bit weird, Jenny, because I feel you're arguing against a point I didn't make. <laughs> of course. Well, I then think, tell me what point you made. Tell me what point I'm you made. I'm not even then. sure we're so lost now. We were just talking, <laughs> we were talking about lines and somehow we've got to... I, I think, import, I f- of course, health test results are important. Of course, looking through pedigrees are important. We went down a weird rabbit hole about DDR lines and check lines. <laughs> and my, my only point with that was, it's really hard to determine what lines a dog are, are from. And, and sometimes it feels like those terms are often misused and like almost beginning to border on irrelevant. You know, the further away we get from that actually being a point in time and uh, you are right of course i agree about ai as well if you're using ai then it's more relevant because you've got a dog in the more recent history um but yeah it's it's a it's a weird part of the breed that whole the line stuff when you check lines ddr lines you know um and And the pedigrees will have a mixture so many pedigrees will have a mixture of those lines yeah, and more, and as we get more and more recent, people are breeding dogs from all over the world. It's not like dogs are just localized like they mm-hmm. once were. You know, in the they're past, they're being bred now for more specific jobs than they were before as well. No, I actually think that's a really good thing. I I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, no, I, I I get it. I get you know at the end of the day, if you're if you're wanting a certain dog, uh, a shepherd, and you know you're not going to do much work with it. I mean, I do the same with my puppies when I pick my puppies, and I've got my homes. I will pick, obviously, I will look at my puppies and I will assess my puppies and I will pick the ones I think that are more likely to be suited in a pet home than they would be in a working home. So absolutely, you 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 would pick everything like that. It makes it makes absolute sense. Yeah, but I don't want definitely. to make a German Shepherd a, a breed that it's not. But, I don't believe in breeding German Shepherds that, who have no drive whatsoever because that's not a German Shepherd. Yeah, I agree with that. There was no drive whatsoever, you said. Yeah, they, they, yeah. there are there are shepherds that have been bred to have all German shepherd traits have been bred out of them and they don't behave yeah. like shepherds anymore. Yeah. And I don't believe in that either. Oh, I agree with that for sure, Jenny. Although where we would disagree <laughs> <laughs> is I would argue that the German shepherd of today is not what the breed was. But what is the German shepherd of today? Well, you've got to tell me there's not the, one shepherd in the world nowadays that no, is. No, of course. I'm talking more generally. I'm talking more generally. And I do, although you might disagree with this, I do think the working line is closer to what it once was, although there are clearly issues in that as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I don't disagree. And I don't disagree. But the, stru- the general structure of the dog is not what it once was, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. And 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 maybe I'm a hypocrite here because I think breeds should be able to evolve, but but I don't think this is a good evolution. I uh, I and and it's a pref- it is a preference thing as long as it's not impacting health. Yeah, I agree. Which you know is questionable. I think sometimes. Um, but my preference is for the for the more. I don't know what word you want to use. The the like I said, the German Shepherd of of the twenties, thirties, forties, etc. They uh, look more modern, I like, don't they? The original ones. Yeah, people say that a lot, but I still mm. think they're very obviously different. Mm. They look, mm, yeah, yeah. They do look more. <laughs> but the only ones that look more modern, I like. Um, there's some beautiful, be- like everything. There's some beautiful early ones and there are some god-awful ugly ones with swaybacks and God knows what. Oh, there so, certainly are, yeah. Yeah. Totally. And we have yeah. to, the problem is we have to, we have to talk in this, this general way, you know? So, yeah, I'm just talking, I'm painting a very broad brush through necessity. Yeah. So. And it's hard. It's, some, it's something that really you could sit and, we could sit and talk about for hours and hours and hours on end and go round and round in circles about it all. I think it's really... <laughs> I do. I think what you've done in breeding and and in sports is really impressive, though. And um, yeah, you obviously have tremendous amounts of knowledge about how to bre- how to breed um, for consistent results and for how to how to breed for um, for function, etc. You know, it's very impressive. Well, the breed needs to be. You know, we, we could sit and argue about lines all day long, Nick, but ultimately we are both on the same page in that yeah. we both think a German Shepherd should be able to walk, yeah. should be able to <laughs> do a job. We're not should, really even arguing, Jenny. We're just... Uh, and should be able to settle in a house at the end of the day. We're just both very passionate. Actually, Absolutely. I... Uh, and I don't... I don't know. Maybe it's a Bristolian thing. I don't know. But um, <laughs> uh, oftentimes when... Uh, you get two people that are very passionate about something. It can sound oh, like yeah, an argument. Yeah. yeah, definitely. That's me for stop, Nick. That's me. For, I'm passionate about everything. Yeah. Oh, so what? So I mean, when you and I'm changing my definition of the word outcrossing here. When you take a when you go for a line that's very different to to the dogs that you you actually have yourself. Like you said, you went for a DDR line. Mm. How do you how how do you select a, a dog so that you can make sure that you're getting what you want out of the puppies or at least try and get get as close mm-hmm. to that as possible because actually it's one of the things that i've heard people say that to me maybe i've asked someone about a breeder and they've said do you know what they've got amazing dogs but they're not very good at choosing pairings you know and uh-huh. um i've heard p- people say that about breeders to me so how do you ha- ha- what is that process like well first thing i'm going to say is really what i said earlier is that y- you can make what you think is the best decision in the world, but you still don't know what's going to happen until the, until it arrives. You know, they're, they're, I, we've only got a certain, I feel we've only got a certain amount of control over that. For me, I like to see the raw dog. I don't want to see a dog that is um, highly titled. I would much rather see the raw dog really? and get a feel for the raw dog rather than a highly titled dog because training can mask an awful lot of weakness. It can mask an awful lot of... Um, poor temperament it can mask a lot of everything um, so I personally like to see where I can it's not always possible but where I can I like to see a raw dog that's uh, so contrary than- as well to what a lot of people do because I feel like a lot of people especially when they're selecting puppies 
they will look at a, a pedigree and they will want as many titles on that pedigree Agreed. as possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I like to see raw dogs because I I just think that so much of it can be masked so easily. If you've got a particularly good trainer, it can get masked. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's definitely a um, raw dog where possible. I can we? I, I also I want to talk more generally about German shepherds as well. I'm not talking about working or show or anything like that. <laughs> Stay off that subject, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is so funny. Um, we should definitely talk more about German Shepherds. Yeah. I'm going to be yeah. sending you messages now. Um, I, I want to talk, as as a pet dog trainer now, when yeah. we get German Shepherds, when I wanted to get a German Shepherd, my girlfriend was like, what are you talking about? Like, she's like, I've never met a nice one. That's what she would she would be like. Yeah. Because the ones that we see, the dogs that we, the German Shepherds we see uh, so often are... Um, very nervous puppies um oftentimes nervous adult dogs as well um very very spooky dogs yes. um and yeah. i i don't know what you think jenny but i don't think it has to be that way i think sometimes people will be like oh it's a german shepherd that's what they do and it's like uh, when i went to pick up my puppy she's i mean um well i'll caveat this but uh from the breeder she was i mean couldn't be more confident you know with loud noises and stuff like that now of course when you take that puppy out of its environment and you've you've just had it for the first week yeah of course she was nervous what any dog would would be you know you're taking them to a totally different environment that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about the dogs that that are just just really lack resilience yeah that seems to be a problem more generally with with current breeding yeah i agree yeah yeah, see quite a lot of it. And there is a big difference. Shepherds do woof. They do woof. They, they If they're not sure, they're going to be gobby, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, perfectly normal shepherd. But you, you're right, Nick. There's a big difference between a shepherd being a typical woofy shepherd versus the ones that are uh, lacking so much confidence that they can't cope in the real world. Big difference between the two. Yeah, see quite a lot of it. I think with, uh, with my dog, I think people, I think less experienced people which would have struggled um and that's because i got a more working line dog you know for sure um but uh when i first got her she was she did the typical shepherd thing of like oh i'm a little bit nervous of this and and really where it really came out more than anything was strange dogs that she hadn't met before because she'd met dozens of dogs at the breeder's place but that was at her place you know, and when, when you would take her to the park, she would be quite nervous of other dogs. And because she was a shepherd, she'd bark at them. And I can just totally imagine if that if she was with a, a dog owner, it would have just freaked them out. You know, really would have freaked them out. But, uh, but you know, we did some, uh, went for some walks with some friends and, and their dogs. And she got over it super quick. But actually, mm. when I posted about that on, on social media, some people were like, I can't believe you're doing that. You're flooding her. Like you're, you're going to freak her out. Um, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just a bit of nervousness. It was also frustration. It was also like, I want to say hello, but I'm also nervous. And you, you know, like there's that conflict, conflicting emotions. Um, but it's interesting that, uh, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I think maybe this is where your, your selection of dog owners for your puppies is important as well. And also just ongoing support. Because uh, oh, definitely a lot, of- and I think as well the thing. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about your the, the breeder of your girl, but I certainly know with my own puppies when I when I rear a litter, 
is you see lots of puppies in the litter that are really, really confident in the litter. And you can go, that is without a shadow of a doubt, that is the most bomb-proof puppy in that litter. That's the most outgoing. And I have learned that you need to check out each puppy in lots of different environments on their own, Mm -hmm. not only with the litter, because there's so many puppies that look really bold in the litter. But when you bring, you know, when they're with it on familiar territory, when you take them off familiar territory, you then get to see the true character of that puppy. And I think that's a, a really important thing for people to be aware of is that, you know, it's why I'm, Typical control freak me. I pick my puppies for my owners. I do not let them pick because if they come along and they see that puppy and it's behaving, I'm going to use atypically again. And it's maybe seems quite quiet because it's just had a, a mad, mad riot in the garden. Uh, if they've only, you know, mine, mine come and uh, visit a lot. But if they see that puppy behaving atypically and they like that behavior and they're going to go and pick that puppy, that could be very atypical for that puppy. And it's and and your classic of taking the puppy off off um, familiar territory and seeing how that puppy behaves. It might be exactly the same off territory as it is on territory. As you say, your puppy, especially if she's come from abroad, it's a very different change for her coming from breeder and then and then coming off with you. And that process. So you can of understand. The, yeah. Driving across Europe, it's not even like you go. Yeah, absolutely. You can understand why your puppy, you know, was going to be, you know, quite stressed by that situation. But as a general rule, if puppies go, I like to know what that puppy's like on its own before it leaves. No, I think that's a very common um, test, actually. A lot of working people recommend that as well. But it's, yeah. uh, it's, um, I almost think you do have to allow a little bit for, you do have to understand that the dog is going to be a little bit uh, stressed you know, when yeah. you take take them home for the first week or so. Um, f- for example, with her now, she's super confident. I mean, she's almost too confident. <laughs> like, I'd actually, sometimes I wish she was less confident. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting observation. And it's hard to breed because there is a difference between it being a, a normal woofy shepherd and it actually um, being poor temperament. Or, you know, not such a good temperament, not such a solid temperament. Uh, and again, it depends on the sort of characters people like. Yeah, I think this is a problem. I think sometimes a bit like what you were saying, we're masking, we're training. I think uh, I actually this is something I experience across breeds, all different kinds of breeds. I've had clients who I know have got dogs from kennels that were probably quite well respected. And they have traits which are... Um, really not desirable in a pet home you know Mm. um i think this is more of a problem in guarding breeds actually uh you know i think a lot of people that have guarding breeds are okay with having dogs that aren't social at all with other dogs um and even strangers and for some people that's actually not even they don't even see that as a problem that's just their uh, lifestyle but then you put that dog in a pet home and they try and take that dog to the park and it's getting in fights with other dogs, biting people. Um, and it's, it's that is there's a difference in expectations. Yeah. Do you not think that's, um, that's a, a, a fault of the breeder for not educating? Yeah, definitely. And I think actually, I don't know what you, I've been thinking about this a lot, Jenny. I feel like the majority of the issues we see with uh, people, people and their pet dogs come about because people have chosen the wrong dog for them. It's quite a lot of that. There is quite a lot of that. And uh, if, let, 
cockapoos are a classic, aren't they? You know, two working breeds um, and people like the look of them. So it, it, it goes back to that very often. You you know, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of resource guarding with um, yeah. cockapoos. We're probably seeing dogs from the same breeders. <laughs> Lots and lots of it. So, yeah. but I do think you know. Ultimately, we've got to come back to that again. There's a lot of breeders who will sell to anybody, and and certainly, um, one of the first questions I ask people if they inquire about a, a puppy, and I know they've not had a shepherd before, is I had um, uh, she's now a very good friend of mine, but um, a behaviourist, uh, and come and want one of my puppies, and I the first thing I said to her is, what do you know about German shepherds? What do you understand? What will you expect from a German shepherd? What do you think is going to happen? Um, and, you know, it, it tells you a lot. People, She was great. She she answered it all correctly and brilliantly. She's now got two of mine and she's, she's lovely and she's done a brilliant, brilliant job with them. But when you ask people those questions, they really have no concept of what having, for example, a German shepherd is all about. Uh, and, and as we discussed earlier, I don't breed German shepherds that... Um, you know, are are like Labradors. They are still German Shepherds and they still um, maintain traits, you know, German Shepherd traits as they should be. So they're not going to be, you know, there's other breeders I could recommend that breed more that type of German Shepherd. If so, if I know somebody says, I just really like the look of them. No, I don't want it to, to guard. I don't want it to, to do this and do that and do the other. And I, I do want to take it to the park. And I go, well, if you're really set on German Shepherd, really set on a German Shepherd, one of mine's not going to suit you, but... Um, you could try this breed or that breed, and I'll, and I'll, I'll you know, pass them on because my German shepherds are not bred not bred to be couch potatoes and do nothing all day long, and then happily have a little wander down the park and talk to everybody. But yeah. it's a fault, I think, of the breeder not educating people and allowing them to have the puppies. Yeah, I agree. It's a big problem. You know, yeah, it's something that a lot of people stumble into. And actually, there has been a learning curve for me as well through having this kind of dog. Um, I think when I got her, I was, um, I didn't, I, I was allowing her to be too social in terms of spending too much time playing with other dogs. And then I, I corrected for that in terms, I don't mean I hurt the dog <laughs> before people jump on me. I mean, I, uh, I did less of that as she aged because I realized I was making a mistake and she was becoming too um, interested in other dogs. And uh, she's totally so. She's friendly with other dogs. It's not a problem. However, the kind of dog she is, even if she is friendly with other dogs, it's going to freak people out. It's, uh, and I don't want, really, I don't want a dog where I go to the park and she's trying to run after every dog playing with them. Um, so now I can't, I can't, I stole this from someone. I can't remember who it was. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i stole this from someone someone said that their rule is the default is if we come across another dog they're just to be ignored we're not playing with them or anything like that the only dogs that are there to be played with are dogs that i actually introduce you to you know if i meet up with a friend or something like that that's the yeah. default now sometimes there's an exception maybe like i was on the beach the other day and a labrador ran over and i was just I had a soft moment and let them play it a little bit. But for the for the for the most part, I try to have that rule because I don't want to go to the park and have her expect to play with other dogs because it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah, it's pain in the ass. And if anything ever should happen, your dog will get the blame. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to protect them. You've got to protect them at the end of the day. Mine are not allowed to mix with dogs that they don't know. So 
um you know they we had um, a couple of us went walking yesterday actually and a couple came down at a cock spaniel off lead pulled my two I have two girls for me pulled them off to the side and just stood there with them and as they came as soon as they saw what I did they popped their dog on a lead it was lovely and they said we used to have one of those and I said oh did you I said that and they he said oh and you always used to want to bark at other dogs he said so we you know we we do now and I said it's lovely that somebody's done it but it's only because they've experienced having the breed before that they didn't go oh mm. just let my spaniel my girls would have been fine if it had run up mm. but I just don't want my dogs put in that position. Why? Why do they need to mix with dogs that they don't know? To me, all it will bring is trouble, so or potential trouble. So mine mix again, like yours. And the thing is, you know, it's tempting when you've had one who was a little bit unsure about dogs at the beginning. It's very tempting then to go, I need to mix them with other dogs. I need to make sure she gets better. Yeah, I think that um, was I where I was coming from. Yeah. Yeah, and it's common, and and it's it's an emotional thing like that everybody compensated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's really, really common and it doesn't matter how many dogs you've had yourself or trained. We're still we are still emotionally involved and emotionally invested in that puppy at the time. And we are always less likely to make really, really, you know, um, sensible decisions because we're actually involved with that puppy. And it's sometimes you, you're too close to, to the puppy to be able to see the wood for the trees. And I think it's it's yeah, it's normal. Absolutely normal. Yeah. You're right, though, about this this UK dog culture thing. is uh, It's very annoying when I I have had the same situation as you. If I see another dog, I'll get out of the way or whatever. And the people that just don't get it, like, you know, they let the dog come over. Oh, is he friendly? Can he say hello? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, or they just don't even ask. And then they'll kind of ask me why, like, why, you know, like, what are you doing, essentially? <laughs> Yeah. And I'll, yeah. uh, uh, like, for example, maybe it's easier if I give an example. This is just, this happens all the time. I was walking the other day, same situation as you described. I had a dog coming towards me. I put her on the lead. I get to the side. I'm holding her on the lead. The guy just lets his staffy run towards me. And then he kind of says, um, I can't remember what he said. Like, is she not friendly or something like that? I just said, no, I'm trying not to socialize her with other dogs. And he goes, oh, it's too late now, isn't it? And then I just grabbed his dog and gave it back to him. But yeah. it's like, this is this is a very regular occurrence. I actually, um, I don't tend to walk places where there are lots of dogs because I just get fed up with people. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, I do, I try not, it, everything in balance, right? Because I, I want her to learn to behave around other dogs as well. So sometimes I will go to places where there are other dogs, but I'll try and stay on the boundary or whatever. Because I want her to, I don't want it to be different. Like, I don't want her to go, oh my gosh, just, you know, it's training for distractions, isn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And I think some places where they're on lead is always often very good. Yeah. Um, at least then you can, you can, they see, they get to see, but it's all under control. And, you know, it, it, at least yeah. then they get to see it and it becomes part of the environment for them. Yeah. It's, it's shocking how people will let their dogs off lead with no recall. And I know, this isn't going to mean anyone, anything to anyone else, Jenny, but... I was up Clifton Downs the other day, you know, that is surrounded by roads. <laughs> I saw three dogs, I wasn't there for very long, and all three of them didn't have great recalls. And we were, I was, because I tried to avoid other dogs, I'm standing on the edge of the road. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's just shocking. No. And they run, you go, they can't get them back, and then they're going to be in that road and knocked over. Yeah. And dogs have been knocked over up at, up at the Downs, oh, haven't they? they? Have, definitely. And a yes. lot of it because, because yeah. of it. Well, but no. Anyway, I'm conscious this is this is probably since 
started to record again this is definitely this might be the longest episode we've <laughs> we just keep going <laughs> this is because i'm so passionate about german shepherds i love talking about about uh about them this is fantastic but actually uh one of the reasons i had you on jenny obviously you've had an amazing cv with the obedient stuff but but also i've really enjoyed following your gsd hub page so maybe you can yeah. tell people more about where they can find you uh oh yeah because I'm so difficult to find. <laughs> <laughs> well, not anymore. With the GSD hub, makes it easier. Yeah, not easy. To, uh, certainly becoming easier to find. Website is about to be launched, uh, www.thegsdhub.com. And everything can just go through there. But that, that somebody else has done it for me. So it actually should work and should work properly. Um, that'll probably be up the first part of it, probably up by the end of the week. So, but Facebook, everybody's on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. It's all it, the GSD hub. Fantastic. It will be up by the time this podcast comes out for sure. So okay, they can right. just go check that out and I'll try and put the link in the show notes. And also, okay. I, like I said, I would really recommend it because as someone that is relatively new to the breed, there's lots of little tips and tricks and things that um just really interesting to to hear and to kind of take on board so yeah it's the plan it's the plan just help out shepherd people because we we do tend to be a little bit of a um pariah is not the right word but you know Insular. yeah yeah <laughs> it's nice it's nice to get shepherd people together because they all understand where we're coming from even if we do argue about the lines nick <laughs> <laughs> fantastic well thanks so much for coming on jenny you're welcome I hope you enjoyed that podcast that was really fun to for me and jenny to have that passionate discussion if you want to call it that it was uh I've, i'm really uh a big fan of what jenny's doing and I, I think it's really cool i think she's a great person for the breed um and for competition obedience and also i don't want you to miss out because she's um launched her gsd hub now is closing on monday the 14th of august so you really do not have long to join this i think jenny is amongst the best people you could possibly think of to guide you through german shepherd ownership so you should really rush over there and and check that out just go to the gsd hub on facebook that's probably the best place to find jenny um and get signed up because it's going to close again on the 14th of August. The other thing I wanted to tell you about before you go is we are running an event in Bristol, um, an introduction to bike drawing with Catla Chevalier on October the 7th, which is, you can find the details for that and sign up on houndplus.com. That's H-O-U-N-D-P-L-U-S.com. It's a fantastic way to get introduced to bike drawing. It's very intimidating to get started out on your own and cat is gonna really demystify it for us give you an opportunity to try it there and then with your dog and would highly recommend it so come and join us for for uh, for event all right thanks for listening <laughs>